Um, tonight, we are going to look at the book of Proverbs. So I invite you to turn in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 1. Page 725, if you're using a Bible under the seat in front of you. Book of Proverbs. We're kind of going through the Bible in a, in a very general way here on Wednesday nights, looking at the major themes, looking at the peaks of Scripture, and we are in the poetry section of the Old Testament. So we have looked at the peaks in the book of Job. We've looked at some peaks in the book of Psalms. And now we're going to look at some peaks here in the book of Proverbs. Look at the introduction to this book, beginning in verse 1 of Proverbs chapter 1. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The book of Proverbs is, I think, one of the most important books in the scripture. It's certainly one that as Christians we should be constantly in and studying. And I say that for several reasons. I want you to notice first what the purpose of the book of Proverbs is. Why was the book of Proverbs put in the Bible? Why do we have it in the New Testament or in the Old Testament? Well, look what it says in verse 2. To know what? To know wisdom and instruction. To perceive the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom. This book was specifically placed in the Bible to give us wisdom. If you want wisdom, then you read the book of Proverbs. And the wisdom in the book of Proverbs reaches all aspects of life. There's wisdom concerning everything that you might face in life, from the high wisdom, if you will, the big questions, right, to philosophy, to eternal matters. You have wisdom concerning that. But then you also have wisdom in the book of Proverbs concerning all of the practical things that you face walking around here on planet Earth. Like family, marriage, relationships, communication, career, work, money, wealth. All of these practical things that we face in life, And this book contains wisdom for all of that, if you'll take time to find it. 
the book of Proverbs really is like a manual that God gave us for life. It's life's manual. I don't know about you, but when I get a new gadget, when I get a new, uh, I don't know, piece of electronic equipment or something, maybe a DVD or player or something, they all come with user guides, right? Do you ever look at the user guide? Never. I always try to, you know, just plug that thing in and get it working the best I can. And after wasting two hours, you open the manual, right? And you find out exactly how to use it. And sometimes when we don't look at the manuals for these gadgets that we get, we don't even use that gadget till it's full potential, right? You might just use a little bit because you don't know all the features of it because you have not read the manual. Well, don't let that be said of you with the book of Proverbs. This is the life manual. This is the instruction book from God on how you can live a wise life in virtually every single area of life that you might face. So it's a very, very important book. Notice also who wrote this book. What does it say in verse 1? The Proverbs of Solomon. Who's Solomon? What's real special about Solomon that you remember from his life? Well, he's the wisest man who has ever lived, right? You remember the story? He became king as a teenager, possibly 12 years of age becomes king of the nation of Israel and has this huge responsibility in front of him. And you remember one night God gave him a vision and said, ask whatever you wish, whatever you wish, Solomon, and I'll give it to you. And he could have asked for riches, couldn't he have? Uh, For fame, for all these. But what did he ask for? He asked for wisdom that he might know how to lead that great nation. And God gave him wisdom beyond his experience beyond his age supernatural wisdom we are looking at a book that was literally written by the wisest man who's ever lived this is top shelf information this is the best of wisdom Right here. Not to mention also that these are verses of wisdom written by the Holy Spirit, right? Who inspired every word of the Bible and inspired every word that Solomon wrote. So, again, another really good reason to be studying the book of Proverbs. It's the best of all the wisdom. That you might need to live life. Now, you'll also notice in this book that um, wisdom is dispensed by way of a poetic device called the proverb. It's filled with proverbs. By the way, there are 969 proverbs in the entire Bible. Did you know that? Well, now you do. You impress your friends with that stat. 969 
Proverbs. You find many Proverbs in the book of Genesis, Deuteronomy, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st Kings in the prophets. Jesus used Proverbs. Paul used Proverbs. Peter used Proverbs. You will find Proverbs all over the scripture. But of course, the highest concentration of Proverbs you find in the book of Proverbs. It's why it's called the book of Proverbs. Now, what exactly is a proverb? Well, it comes from the Hebrew word, Massah. And the root meaning of that word means to compare or to contrast. So you'll see that parable or not parables, proverbs are very short, pithy, poetic statements of wisdom that often use comparison and contrast to make a point. They're very short. It's like concentrated wisdom. Nuggets of truth. One author says that this book provides wisdom in quick, bite-sized chunks. Drive-through wisdom. Microwave wisdom in quick, fast chunks. And so understand that when you read through the book of Proverbs, it's actually a very easy read. It's not like you're going to read somebody's dissertation. It's not like you're going to read some complicated book on philosophy that uses all of these words that you don't understand. Profound, simple wisdom that can go right into your heart, right into your mind, and enable you to live a wise life. Beautiful, beautiful book. I want you to notice also who is supposed to read the book of Proverbs. Look what it says in verse 4. This book was written to give prudence to the whom? Simple. You know what that refers to? That refers to a person who is very naive. That refers to a person who is untaught. Someone who's gullible. Someone whose mind is easily swayed. Someone who's real innocent. I believe that that refers to little children. Little kids. Little kids. The simple can learn from the book of Proverbs. It's for them. It can impact them. One of my fondest memories as a kid is my dad used to take my brother and I through the scripture at young age all the way up I remember he took us through the book of Romans and then one year he took us through the book of Proverbs we were in elementary school and we went through the book of Proverbs like one chapter a week over 31 weeks maybe not a whole chapter maybe a half a chapter but we just went proverb 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 And my dad, using the book of Proverbs, tried to instruct us on all the very different issues in life. In fact, it was from the book of Proverbs that we were given the talk. 
You know what I'm talking about, right? The birds and the bees. How cool is that? That a dad would sit his little boys down and open up the book of Proverbs and give them little nuggets of wisdom. I've never forgotten it. Huge impact on my life. Notice who else the book of Proverbs is for. Verse 4, it says, to the young man. Knowledge and discretion, that would be teenagers. That would be college students. That would be 20-somethings. Book of Proverbs is valuable to them. Verse 5, a wise man. Verse 5, a man of understanding. Now, this would speak of your adults, your, the, the ones that have a lot of experience in life, the ones who have been around the block, the ones who are veterans in life, knowledge, and experience. In other words, the book of Proverbs is for every single person, regardless of age. One person said, this terrain is profitable to the neophytes, and inexhaustible to the masters. So this is not the book that you want to just read once and put to the side. This is a book that you want to constantly study no matter how smart you are, how old you are, or what stage in life you are, either physically or spiritually. I really want to, to light that fire under you tonight to really give your attention to this book. I can't tell you how practical and helpful it is. In fact, I know many Christians who make it a point to read through the book of Proverbs every month. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. There's usually about 31 days in every month. And in the course of their normal Bible reading, as they're reading other portions of Scripture, they'll read a chapter in the book of Proverbs every single day. It takes maybe 10, 15 minutes, and you're constantly reading and taking in these nuggets of truth. I would recommend that. It's there. So just get it. Okay, um, there are a lot of Proverbs in the book of Proverbs, as you might imagine, and we're not going to go through it verse by verse. We've actually done that in the past. But we're going to look at, as I say, the peaks of Proverbs. So how are we going to proceed? Well, you remember when we just got through studying the book of Psalms, right? In the book of Psalms, you can classify Psalms into different categories and genres, And so what we did is we looked at the different categories and genres of psalms, and we took two examples, um, two or three examples from each genre. That's kind of what we're going to do with the book of Proverbs. You can study the book of Proverbs topically, topically. There are main topics that you'll find throughout the book of Proverbs, and there's several Proverbs that will relate to each topic. So there's this big topic that you could call money, wealth, career. There's this big topic that you could call family, marriage, parenting. There's this big topic that you could call morality, 
And so that's what we're going to do just over the next three or four weeks. Just look at some proverbs from each one of those topics. Now tonight, I just want to very quickly look at five parables. And I would categorize these, am I saying parables all the time? That's because we're studying parables on Sunday. When I say parables, I mean proverbs. You with me? The P word. All right. We're going to look at five proverbs tonight. And I would categorize these proverbs as uh, the overarching, general, um, guiding principles to our lives. These proverbs contain truth that, that should always be in our minds and in our hearts. Almost every day, these, these, are the, these are the truths as Christians that should be on the front burners. Okay? The priorities of life. So let's look at the first one. You don't have to turn far. In fact, it's in chapter 1 and it's verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Anybody heard that verse before? This is a verse that is repeated several times throughout the book of Proverbs. In fact, it says in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This is really the thematic verse, really, of Proverbs. It's the main verse. By the way, this is the most well-known verse in the book of Proverbs. And these very words have been adopted as the motto and inscribed over the entrance of many schools and colleges in the United States of America. Did you know that? Of course, a lot of schools and colleges have forgot these. And don't you wish these words were the motto of every school? Okay. Foundational truth. Absolutely important. Essential. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, all knowledge. If you want to be wise, if you want to have knowledge, it must begin with the fear of the Lord. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Not only is that saying that it's the starting process to becoming wise, what it's also communicating is that the fear of the Lord is the foundation. It is the controlling principle on which all other wisdom would be built. You have to start here. And so this life-guiding principle would be this. As Christians, we are to live in the fear of the Lord. 
That should be something that we're doing daily. That should be something that we're thinking about daily. Now, the best definition that I found for the fear of the Lord is this. The fear of the Lord is the reverent submission unto the Lord. Fearing the Lord is reverent obedience unto the Lord. There's two parts to the fear of the Lord. First of all, there's a reverence unto God. There's a respect. There's an esteem. You are to honor God. You are to live in awe of God. God is to have your ultimate respect. And he should. He's the creator, right? He's the creator. He's the almighty one. He's the holy one. He's the majestic one. He's the gracious one. He's the loving one. So that issue should be settled in all of our lives every day for the rest of our lives. There is no one in our lives that we respect more than the Lord. No boss, no friend, no boyfriend, no girlfriend, no husband, no wife. The Lord is to be the one that you reverence the most. There's no one greater in your thinking than God. And then the second part of that would be closely related. You know that the Lord is in charge, that he's sovereign, uh, that he is the ultimate one whom we will have to give an account to. So you're willingly submissive to him. It is your desire to obey him. It is your desire to please him. It is your desire to do whatever he would tell you to do. That is the fear of the Lord. Man, if we could live every day. Every morning you wake up and you go, God is my ultimate boss and my ultimate goal today is to submit to him. To obey him. To please him. That's the beginning of wisdom. And by the way, I really think that that should be an easy thing for us to do as Christians. Because God is good. We just sang that, didn't we? God is good. Is the Lord good or what? We should totally reverence him and totally be submissive to him. Because we know that he's good. That he has good things for us. He loves us. He's got a plan. He knows what he's doing with our lives. And so this fear that we have of him is not this thing like we're terrified of him. The idea is our respect for him, our esteem for him as the other one, the high and lifted one, is so great. We can't help but obey him. That's what you want to have. 
in your mind and in your heart as you're living your life. Um, Olympics, are you watching it? Anybody care about the Olympics this year? Few of us. Um, I was reading about a man by the name of Uday Hussein. You ever heard of him? Uday Hussein. He's the son of Saddam Hussein. I'm not sure if he's still alive. But I found it interesting that he was the guy who was in charge of the Iraqi Olympic Committee. He was in charge of all the athletes that went to the Olympics from Iraq. And I read that he oversaw the imprisonment and torture of Iraqi athletes who were deemed not to have performed to expectations. One defector reported that jailed soccer players were forced to kick a concrete ball after failing to reach the 1994 World Cup Finals. Another defector claimed that athletes were dragged through a gravel pit and subsequently immersed in a sewage tank to induce infection in the victim's wounds. So, how would you like being an athlete? For Uday. Would you fear him? Oh, you'd be terrified of him. You'd be terrified for your life. That's, how, that's, that's not how God is. God is like the greatest coach you could ever have. He's good. He knows what he's doing. He loves you. He always has his best in mind for you. And he has the power to get you where he wants you to be. And so, fear him. Respect him. Make it your life ambition to walk in a fear of the Lord. Daily. Okay, look over at chapter 4, just a couple chapters to the right. I want you to look at chapter 4, verse 23. This is a famous proverb. And look what it says. It says, keep your, what? Heart. With all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. General principle number two, something that's always on the front burner of your mind. Listen carefully. Guard your heart. My friend, listen. Christian brother, sister, protect your heart daily. Okay, now what does heart refer to? Does it refer to the organ in our chest? It's pumping blood through our body? No. This is a figurative thing. You know what the heart stands for in this verse? Um, it, it, it stands for the inner man, the inner woman, the inner you, the inside you. My friend, the real you. That unseen part of you. The seat of your emotions. 
the seat of your will, the seat of your thoughts, the seat of your conscience, your personality. Your heart is the you that will leave this body when you die. The spiritual. And this verse says, guard it. Protect it with all the diligence that you have. The inside you. Your heart. That's the most important part about you. Now, I know in life, we take a lot of time, you know, working on our bodies. Some of us. We're going to the gym. We're running. We're eating right. And that's a great thing. Take care of your physical body. Uh, There are people that will throw all of their time and tension into their career or to finances or to all of these sorts of external kinds of things. And of course, we need to be responsible for that. But the most important part of life is the heart. Guard that. Take care of that. Now, why should we do that? Because as it says here in verse 23, out of it spring the issues of life. Your heart is the most precious part of you and it impacts everything about your life. Everything in life springs out of your heart. What you do, what you say, the choices you make, the relationships you pursue, the activities you involve yourself in, All of that springs from your heart. Out of the heart issue all, flow all the issues of life. And so listen, if your heart is wicked, if your heart is is evil, what's going to come out in your life? Evil, wicked things. If your heart's good, what's going to come out? Good things. Jesus said that. Jesus in Luke chapter 6 said, A good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. So guard your heart. Protect your heart. And my feeling here is that the the emphasis in this verse is mostly on your thoughts, what you're thinking, what you think in your heart, what you feel in your heart. You could use different words here like mind, in your mind's eye, in your, your thought life. 
I want you to sort of think of your, your heart or your thoughts. I want you to think of it as a reservoir that has a constant inflow and a constant outflow. Things are constantly filling your heart, and then there's a constant outflow of your heart. Okay, so if you have good things coming into your heart, what's going to outflow? Good things. If you have bad things coming into your heart, what, what, what's going to outflow? Bad things. What are you filling your thoughts with? What are you putting into your heart? If you're putting a whole bunch of worldly stuff, a whole bunch of sinful stuff, uh, digesting all kinds of sinful, immoral things in life, I, what are you going to become? You've heard that expression, you are what you eat? Do you like that expression? Do you agree with that expression? I do. You've got to be careful what you eat physically. It's also true intellectually. What you choose to eat intellectually what you choose to put in impacts. It says in Philippians chapter 4, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on those things. How do you protect your heart? Put good things in. Get away from all the garbage. And by the way, I always think of another famous proverb when I consider this proverb. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. That's another way to, going back to that first principle, make sure Jesus rules in your heart. Make sure that he's on the throne in your heart. Okay, look at chapter 7. A couple chapters to the right. Look at verse 1. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live, and my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your what? Your heart. Now in this passage, uh, Solomon is speaking clearly about the word of God, the scripture. And here we are told to treasure Scripture, treasure the commandments. He says, keep my words. He says, treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live. Keep my laws, the apple of your eye. Think about that. How sensitive is the apple of your eye? And do you guard that? God's word. is to be like that to you in your life. Something that you keep, something that you guard. It says, bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet 
of your heart. Guiding principle in life. And you are told this all the time from this pulpit. Treasure God's word. Spend time in God's word. Study God's word. Meditate upon God's word. Memorize God's word. I, I, I want you to think about this and I want you to consider what this means. This means becoming a lifelong student of the scripture. Don't ever stop reading the Bible. Keep hiding it up in your heart. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Hear it taught. Hear it preached. Don't ever stop. Okay. I've been a Christian since I was seven. And I would say that I've been a committed Christian for the last 30 years since I turned 20. I just gave away my age. That big 50-year mark. (laughs) But for 30 years... I feel like I have been a committed Christian when the Lord got a hold of me in college. And I, and I will tell you this from experience. In looking back over the last 30 years, when there were those seasons in my life where I was diligently studying the Bible every single day, those are the most fruitful seasons of my life. The most powerful seasons in my life. The most confident seasons in my life. As a committed Christian, looking back over the 30 years, there's been times where I've slacked. Where I didn't read it as consistently. And I will look back at those times, and those will be times where I struggled. Where I wasn't as fruitful. This book is your food, amen? You must spend time. In God's word. Fear him. Guard your heart. Treasure his word. Okay. Turn over to Proverb. Chapter 28. Here's another very important one. This is a famous one. What does it say? He who covers his sins will not, what? Prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have, what? Mercy. Guiding principle number four. Always. Always, always deal with your sin. Don't ever ignore sin in your life. My friend, deal with it. As Christians, most of you already know what the Bible has to say about sin. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short from the glory of God. Sin is missing the glory of God. It's making mistakes. It's choosing the wrong activities. It's thinking the wrong thoughts. It's saying the wrong things. 
It's doing those things that we should not do. It's making immoral decisions. We've all sinned, and we know that sin is the biggest problem of the human race. Lack of education, that's not the biggest problem. Lack of money, that's not the biggest problem. Where you were born, where you were raised, that is not the biggest problem. What is the biggest problem of the human race? Sin. We all have sin in our hearts. We've all blown it. And because of sin, many things have been ruined. Relationships, lives. It's because of sin that there's all the trial and problems and hardships in the world. Okay. We're all sinners. Every single one of us. Don't ever try to cover it. Don't ever ignore it. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of people have done. I mean, I think of Adam and Eve. You remember when they fell into sin? And God finds them and says, Adam, what have you done? And he's, well, it's that wife you gave me. The blame game. Remember that? Eve did it. Eve, what have you done? Well, Satan did it, right? And unfortunately, that's what a lot of people want to do. They, they, they want to cover their sin. They want to ignore it. They want to sweep it under the cover, under the, under the carpet. Or they want to uh, you know, make excuses for it. Or you'll look at your sin and you'll say, well, you know, maybe it's not as bad as the sin of somebody else. And you hide it. Worst possible thing you can do. This proverb says, confess it, forsake it, deal with it. And if you do that, what are you going to find? Mercy. If you don't confess it, if you hide it, if you conceal it, then you won't prosper. Okay. There are several ways that you could um, apply this principle. That you, could, you could apply this proverb to salvation, first of all. If you want to get saved, you have to confess your sin. God has declared that we are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. If you want to get your sins forgiven, you've got to fess up. You've got to come to God and say... Lord, I am a sinner, and you've got to acknowledge that God sent his son and died on the cross for the sins of the world. You have to admit that you're a sinner and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. I mean, if you ignore your sin, there's no prospering. There's no salvation. Christian, as Christians, do we still sin? We do. Now, hopefully, we don't want to. But there can still be sin in our life as Christians. And let me tell you, if, if, if you ignore sin in your life, even as a Christian, if you try to cover it, you try to conceal it, it can ruin you. It can lead to horrific things in your life. And so this would say, 
Don't conceal it. Don't hide it. Confess it. Reveal it. Make it known. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Ask the Lord to restore you. Come back to him. Get back into proper fellowship with him. And then as it says, forsake it. Ask the Lord to help get that sin out of your life. And be willing to to, to be radical about it. You remember when Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, what are you supposed to do with it? Pluck it out. You'd rather have your eye plucked out, you know, rather than go into the kingdom of darkness whole. If your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off. Okay, now, is he speaking literally there? No. I would expect to see some weird changes in you. It's not speaking literally. What he's saying is deal radically with sin in your life. Forsake it. The whole point of what Jesus said was to gross you out. Be grossed out over that sin. Don't ignore it. Confess it. Deal with it. Face it. Take steps. I think you could also apply this proverb to our personal relationships. If you've sinned against someone, if you've offended someone, confess it. Don't cover it. Don't make excuses for it. Deal with it. So I, I, that is, a, that is an, a very, very important principle in life. Deal radically with sin. Confess it. Okay, one more. Look at chapter 25. Just a few chapters to the left. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 25. Now, this is probably a proverb. It's not a popular proverb, but I just, I'm bringing it up tonight because it's been a very, very special proverb in my life. It's sort of uh, been one of those life verses for me. I read it years back, and it sort of reminds me of what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. Look what it says. As cold water to a weary soul, so is what? Good news from a far country. Isn't good news wonderful? Don't you like it when... When you get good news in a world where there's all this bad news? Isn't it great when somebody brings good news? It's like, it's like a, a, a cool cup of refreshing water. You need that. You need to hear it. You know, in those days, uh, when they got good news, they were very excited about it. They, in those days, they didn't have instant communication. They didn't have texting or email or any of that. They didn't have a plane you could get on. They didn't have a car you could drive. They didn't have video cameras, none of that. So imagine living in those days and you know about a relative that lives a long ways away and the last you've heard of him, that relative has been sick. You want to find out how he's doing. How would you do that? 
Well, you'd probably send a messenger who would then go weeks, perhaps months, on foot to find out about that person, learn the news about that person, and then spend weeks or months coming back to giving you that news. And, it, and the whole time you're waiting, right? You're anticipating. Oh, I wonder. And then this messenger comes back and says, good news. He's healed. He's de- now, can you imagine that joy? That, that, that sort of captures the whole point of this proverb. Good news is a delight to people. It impacts people in mighty ways. I've always thought of this proverb in my capacity as as a pastor and in in my capacity as a Christian. And I think this is a proverb that all of us as Christians should. Did you know that we're supposed to be the bearers of good news? Did you know that? And what good news do we get to share? What does the word gospel mean? It literally means good news. We get to tell people about how they can be forgiven of all their sins. Of how they can be changed. Of how they become born again. Of how they can get new hearts. And I've always thought, you know, my job as a Christian is to find thirsty people and bring cool, refreshing cups of water. Share with people. So this overarching, guiding principle of life, Christian, we are here to share good news. Not hoard it. Share it. And you share good news by being a witness for Jesus Christ in the way you live. The way you live should make people attractive to the Lord. And then, of course, being able to actually share the message of the gospel with others as people come and ask. Again, a top-level, front-burner thing for us as Christians. Five Proverbs. Every morning, you could wake up and think about this. Today, I'm going to fear the Lord. Today, I'm going to guard my heart. Today, I'm going to treasure God's word. Today, I'm going to deal radically with sin. And today, I'm going to share the good news with people. Man, if we could keep that wisdom right there. If we could keep that at the front burner of our mind. Let's close tonight and let's ask the Lord to do that. Lord, I I am so grateful tonight for your goodness and your love. And, and, And Lord, that we can trust you. Lord, I'm thankful tonight that there is no detail in our life that you're not concerned about. 
Lord, I'm, I'm grateful that you've given us information on, on, on how to live this life with wisdom in every aspect of our lives. I pray, Lord, that we would grab this wisdom. Lord, you are good and you are awesome and you are mighty and we reverence you. Lord Jesus, we ask you tonight to reign in the midst of our hearts. Sit on the throne of our hearts, Lord. Guard them. Lord, I pray that we put pleasing things into this heart. Lord, I pray that our hunger for your word would never stop. Lord, perhaps there are some here tonight who belong to you but have given up daily Bible reading long ago. Put that hunger back in. Let that fruit abound again. Lord, I pray that we would come to you often with confession. Thank you for your blood that washes away all sin. Lord, as your people, may we be kept from that. And then, Father, I pray that you would make us witnesses for you. Strong, healthy, consistent witnesses for you that we would look around in our lives daily where we work, where we go to school, where we live and and, and Father, look for all those thirsty people. There's so many thirsty people. And they're so obvious if we just take the time to notice them. I pray we'd live that refreshing life before their very eyes. That we would be able to share with them how they can meet you. Lord, we commit all this into your hands. May we walk in wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.